And as you're being seated, I want to say welcome to you this morning. My name is Steve. I'm the lead pastor here. So glad that you could join us this morning. Um, as, as said before, if you're joining us online, thank you so much for being with us. Also, um, we have uh, continued to, to grow and, and still trying to maintain our, our uh, safety measures. And so we actually have screen two as an overflow. And so if you're over in screen two uh, this morning, I want to say welcome uh, to you as well. Thank you so much uh, for joining us in worship, even though we're uh, separated by a wall or internet, we're united in spirit. And so thank you so much uh, for being with us uh, today. Before we jump in, want to give you uh, just one announcement. Next Sunday, uh, January 24th, 4 p.m. in screen one, uh, we are going to be having our annual meeting, okay? So um, that is where we look back on what God has done in 2020, and he's done a lot of things in 2020. Um, God has shaped and molded us and, and uh, done just incredible things. And so we're going to look back on 2020, and then we're going to look ahead to 2021, what God has for us uh, moving forward. Also a time for, for our membership. Uh, it's a yearly uh, membership, and so um, it's our annual membership renewal at that time as well. And so if you can make it January 24th, 4 p.m., screen one. Um, hope to see you here. Um, we're going to uh, jump back in into Matthew chapter 13. Uh, we kicked off chapter 13. We've been on this journey uh, through uh, the book of Matthew, and so far we've covered 12 chapters, which is why we're on 13. Um, and so that's why we're, we're here. Um, we're going to be uh, talking about uh, that. We saw last week how Jesus is teaching in parables in chapter 13. He's doing a lot of teaching in parables. And a parable is, is a story that has a spiritual truth, but it might not be overly obvious. Okay. And so, so he does this. And he goes this way to both reveal certain truths as well as conceal truth as well. You remember he's been rejected by the religious leaders up in the region where he's from. And, and so there's, there's this new um, transition moving forward that, that he's testing the hearts of people as we, as we see, as he lays these things out, which ones are going to reject, which ones are going to want to know more. And he draws us in using uh, parables. And I'm going to say this today, that today's parable that we're going to talk about, it's weighty. Okay. It's weighty. We're going to be talking about things that are sobering. All right. Sometimes Jesus talks to us and there's, there's ways to encourage us. There's ways to be joyful and happy. And there's other times where we are to be called to be reflective and sober minded. And so, uh, and we need all of that. We need the whole counsel of God. We need all the different facets of God as he reveals these things to us. And I'm just going to let you know, today is going to be a sobering type of day. We're going to be talking about judgment. We're going to be talking about heaven. We're going to be talking about hell. We're going to be talking about these kinds of things because this is what Jesus talks about. It's what happens when you walk through a book of the Bible, you just, it's the next thing up. And we, we talk about these things and we address them as they um, come along. Now, I will say this, like the big idea for today is this, for every good thing the Lord produces, the enemy makes a destructive counterfeit. For everything the Lord produces, the very good things that the Lord produces, the, the enemy will come along and make a very destructive counterfeit. Okay, back in Genesis 1, 2, 1 and 2, chapters 1 and 2, in the beginning of your Bible, you'll see that God creates the world and he creates all these things and he creates them good. And then he creates human beings. He says they're very good. And so in chapters 1 and 2, we see this perfect, beautiful, good creation. In chapter 3, we see the enemy, our enemy, Satan, come in and deceive the first human beings. He says that, that he's setting up a counterfeit kingdom in that moment. He's saying that, that the kingdom of the, the kingdom of heaven, 
heaven, the kingdom of God is not what you want. God's holding out on you. If you follow me, you're going to be wise. You're going to be like your own God. And so right away, there's this, there's this counterfeit that comes up and, and Adam and Eve bite on it. And the whole world starts to unravel brokenness, marred by sin, right? But God continues to create good things. He continues to do good things. But for every good thing that the Lord produces, the enemy is going to make a uh, destructive counterfeit. We see that in uh, 2 Corinthians 11 that talks about our enemy, Satan, that he comes disguised as an angel of light. That what he does is he presents himself as attractive, as as something that we would want, and that's something that is going to promise more than what God has. And so that's always this, this idea of luring away, this counterfeit, where God produces and promises life and life abundant. In John 10, he says that our enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That we have an enemy who's at work in our midst, in our life, in this world, who wants to steal from us, kill us, and destroy us. He's talked about as being the father of lies, that his native tongue is just speaking lies. And you might be in here today and you're going, are you really going to be talking about the devil? Are we really, like, you actually believe that he exists? And I would say yes. I think we all have seen things go wrong in the world, and then we've seen things that were just truly evil. It's the work of our enemy. And so today we're going to be talking about a parable where Jesus is going to address these kinds of things. It's it's the parable of the weeds. And so we're going to be in Matthew chapter 13, starting in verse 24. Jesus is going to tell the parable. It's not going to be it's not going to be totally obvious. He's then going to go on to explain it. We're going to read that because Jesus explains his own parables better than I can explain his parables. Okay? So that's what we're going to do. So so Matthew 13, starting in verse 24. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed seeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your own field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, Then do you want us to go out and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. So once again, Jesus is using a parable and he's using um, agriculture as his example. They live in an agrarian culture. Um, Excuse me. Um, and, And if you... In this day, no farm machinery, anything like that. There was, it was a lot of hired hands. It was a lot of human effort. There was a ton of effort going into the planting and the harvest, okay? So, so lots of effort. This was a massive undertaking. People would have bags of seeds. They would go out and they would plant wheat into a field. And then they would wait and, you know, they, they would pray for rain and they would wait for the harvest. And the harvest was where you knew if you were going to eat this year. Okay, it was it was the moment of harvest was this very important piece because it determined the welfare of the people for the next um, for the next year, and so the harvest was important. and 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 what's going to happen is 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 an enemy comes in, someone comes in while his men were asleep, 
It says, and then he planted weeds alongside the grain. Now, many people would say that this is this weed um, that would go alongside wheat um, is a, a weed called tares. Okay, T-A-R-E-S, like tares. So someone would plant a tear next to a wheat stock. Now, the thing about tares and wheat are they are very, very difficult to differentiate which one is which. Okay, so their stock looks similar. They leaf out, you know, they, they get the blade, you know, they all goes out. The only time that you can really tell the difference between a weed and a tear is when they start to head out. Okay, so when they, when they start to get grain, I learned that term because I married a farmer's daughter. So um, we, you, you, when the grain starts to head out, when it starts to produce fruit at the end of the, you know, at the end of the stock where, um, where you would see the, the season where you would harvest those things, that's when you would start to notice, hey, that one doesn't look like that one. That one doesn't look like that one. And you would see that there's a difference between the two, tares and wheat. Now, I don't know if you understand just how like sick and vile this action is. I mean, this is really, really despicable. Think about it. His enemy comes along and sows in a seed that looks a lot like good grain. And the only time that you're going to be able to, to, to differentiate is the time of harvest when all those things get mixed up and the seeds have already produced and some go out to seed and already start planting a little bit more, you know, like weeds are terrible that way, right? It chokes out the, the good plants. It, it takes up all the nutrients that the plant needed. It's choking these things out. And your harvest was going to determine the quality of your life for the next year, and so they had these weeds and they had these tares next to each other. This would destroy a family. If you didn't have any kind of margin or, or help, um, you, you might, you could totally bankrupt and ruin you. If you had, if you had a little bit of margin, the next year, these, these tares would persist because they would have gone out to seed and they do all these different things with it. This is just sick. It's despicable. So like, I'm going to plant something evil and then I'm going to wait months just in sick delight, waiting for it to show itself. And when it does, it's going to destroy you. It's going to destroy your family. It's going to destroy the people that work for you. It's going to destroy their families. It's going to destroy orphans and widows and the foreigner in your land. Because in the Old Testament, the, the scripture said that when you would plant a field, you were to purposely leave behind some of the grain so that widows, right, could come along and harvest. That's what we get in the book of Ruth. That's what's happening is they were purposely leaving behind so that widows could eat and orphans can eat and a foreigner in their land could eat. Like this wasn't just like something that was like, I'm going to punch you in the face. This is, I'm going to, I'm going to deliberately wait to produce evil that will destroy you and everything else around you. And that's wicked. That's just straight up evil. And note that the servants were asleep. That the enemy was waiting for an opportune time when no one was looking to sneak in and drop just a little seed that would cause a big problem months down the road. And the servants, they also would ask their master if he had planted bad seed. Like, what's going on? They went to the master and they said, I thought that all this was good stuff. Like, why is this happening? I don't understand why this is happening if this was all good stuff. And the servants, when they found out that it was actually the work of an enemy, they're like, well, let's go, let's go root it out. 
Let's go get it. Let's go. Let's get after it. Let's take care of this. Let's get it. And let's root it out. But the master instructs them to wait to the harvest, lest they damage good grain. So let's, so that's the parable. Okay. That's, that's the parable. Let's, let's see what it means. In verses 36 and through 43, the explanation is this. Then he left the crowds and went to the house and his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the weeds. He answered, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The son of man will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun and the kingdom in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. So he says the parable, he goes, I'm going to explain all the different pieces. He said, the sower is the son of man. The son of man is a title that Jesus refers to as himself. This is taken from a vision from the book of Daniel. When, when Daniel actually saw Jesus, he said, one who has appeared like a son of man comes to earth. So when God came to earth, so when, so when Jesus says son of man, he's referring to himself. So the sower of good seed is Jesus. The field is the world. The good seed is the true followers of Christ. The weeds are false followers of Christ. And the enemy is Satan. The harvest is judgment. The reapers are angels. Okay. So that's kind of the key that we get the, the, the legend, if you will, to be able to decipher what's going on. Now, last week, we saw that the parable of the soils, um, that the seed was the word of God and the soil was our heart. Now we're seeing that the seed is the person and the soil is the world, okay? So, so same, same words, but using them in different, applying them in different ways because it's a parable. And he says, he said, listen, the seed, the good seed are the sons of God, those who have trusted in Jesus, and they are scattered throughout all of the world. And this is an encouraging thought. That throughout the, throughout the world this day, there are Christians, there are followers of Jesus who will gather all around the world and praise the name of Jesus. And some will pray for the churches in America and we will pray for uh, others, right? This is a beautiful thing to know that all around the world, there's followers of Jesus. We have a church plant in uh, Ukraine, and a few years ago, I went over to visit them and help establish the church and, and with their pastor there, and, and we did a study there about the Lord's Prayer. And at the, end of, at the end of the teaching, we said the Lord's Prayer out loud. I said it in English. They said it in Ukrainian. And it was this beautiful moment. It was a very emotional moment for me to realize that we live on opposite sides of the world but worship the same God, that we have the same spirit, that we love the same Jesus, that we pray to the same Jesus, and that he hears us both because he knows both English and Ukrainian. And that there's people from every tribe, tongue, and nation who will gather together in the name of Jesus. That is an encouraging thought. I want you to be encouraged today, realizing that all throughout the world, there are real, true followers of Jesus. But we have an enemy. We have an enemy and every good thing that the Lord produces, the enemy will produce a destructive counterfeit. 
And Satan hates the church. And he wants to destroy it. Our enemy hates this church and wants it to close its doors. We have an enemy at work trying to work against what God is doing here. And one of the ways that Satan likes to work is he likes to put counter, counterfeits within the genuine. So amongst the genuine followers of Jesus, there are counterfeits. There are, there are people who look like followers of Jesus. They know the right words. They can say the right things. They say amen when they know. They know when to bow their heads. They know when to raise their hands. They know when to do all these things. They know how to say, bless your heart. They know all of these kinds of things or I'll pray for you. Or like, like they know all of the lingo. <clears throat> they know all of the lingo, but they have no heart transformation. And they exist all over the world. And they defame the name of Jesus and they destroy relationships. And they can destroy a local church. You're like, well, how do you tell the difference? By the fruit. By the fruit of their life. Um, one of the things I get to do a lot of, and which is wonderful, I get to coach and train other church planters. But just as I was coach to help start this church, I get to be able to invest in the lives of other people starting churches. And, and, and we talk about like putting people in leadership and we talk about the people who are in their mix and we say, hey, listen, you gotta, you gotta let this kind of play itself out a little bit. You gotta see the character of their life before you give them a title because the two hardest things to get back at a church is a title and keys. You can't get either back once you get them out. They just don't come back. And you got to be careful when you give somebody a title. You got to be careful when you put them in leadership. You got to watch the pattern of their life as best you can first. Because it takes time. Because I said, someone's character always comes out. And they go, always? I said, always. Someone's character always comes out. Fruit is produced in their life. They might look like something, but then all of a sudden it just gets blossom and you're like, whoa, where did that come from? It was there all along. The DNA is in the seed and it just continues to blossom on its way out. And when you see someone who maybe it was a loved one, maybe it was someone you knew, maybe it was someone you trusted and, and you were like, yeah, they're, they're a follower of Jesus. And then all of a sudden just, it shows itself different. And their life explodes in, in chaos and malice and, and, and adultery and, 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 and cheating and lying and, and, and doing all these crazy things. And you just see their life just blow up and they take delight in it. It's not that Christians don't sin. It's that, it's that false Christians take a delight in watching the fruit destroy everything around them. And so what do we do as the church if we realize, okay, there's false and there's true in the middle of all of this in this room. So what do we do? Here's what, here's what we like to do. Because as people and as the church, or maybe just guys, we like to fix things, right? We like to fix things. Well, let me fix it. Let me fix it. And so what do we want to do? We want to root it out. 
We want to get after it. We want the pure church. We want the true church. We're going to, we're going to rip it out. We're going to put a magnifying glass on your life, and we're going to see what happens. And then if, if anything is just a slight bit of miss, we're going to rip that out. And Jesus is like, whoa, 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 slow your roll. Like, let's just, like, let's talk about this for a second. No. Jesus says, we're going to let them both grow up together. Lest you actually damage good grade. I have friends who have been really, really hurt by the church because they were ripped out, not because they were false Christians, but because they were growing Christians. And somebody's zeal determined that they were not worth the time, not worth the effort. And they were just going to rip it up because they're false. Listen, we have a hard time telling the difference between someone who's growing and someone who's not. Just like between a wheat and a tear. Like we don't know the difference early on. So we have to be patient. Now, it doesn't mean that we never address sin. It doesn't mean we never talk about it. It doesn't mean we never confront it, right? That's what Matthew 18, we're going to get there. Matthew 18 has this whole, uh, Jesus puts out this whole uh, plan for us to be like, when you see sin, this is how you go about handling it. You do this, then you do this, then you do this, then you do this, then you do this. All the while, everywhere along the way, you want to see the condition of that person's response, their heart. And, and if you get all the way to the end of these things, once you've gone to them by yourself, once you've gone two or three, once you've brought them up in front of the leadership, once you brought them in front of the church, like, like if still at the end of that, they're still not won over, you have to treat them like a tax collector or a sinner. You have to, you have to treat them like an unbeliever, which means you evangelize them and you talk about Jesus to them because they obviously don't understand what's going on. But there's this process. So, so Jesus lays out a process for us to be able to handle these things. But so often in our zeal, we want to go rip things out. And in ripping things out, we end up ripping out people and harming people that they were just growing, but we weren't patient. And so there's things that happen in people's lives and we process those things. We walk through those things. But at the end of all of it, there comes a separation that Jesus does. Either, either when the world ends as we know it, or, 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 or we die and we face Jesus, there comes a moment of separation. Jesus goes, I know which one you were. I know which one you are. I've seen it. I've seen, I've seen you, you never surrendered your life to me. And so there's this, there comes this moment of separation where Jesus is going to rid the world of all sin. And don't we want that? Because here's the thing, even if you're not a believer, even if you're not a follower of Jesus, this is what happens. Something bad in the world happens and people go, well, where's God in the middle of all that? Maybe you've asked that. Where's God in the middle of all of this? There will come a day when Jesus roots out all sin, all injustice, all law-breaking, every pain, every, every horrible thing that has happened in the world, all of it, gone. The big things, like genocide and human trafficking, and the little things that we would consider little, gossip, slander, all of it gets rooted out. Jesus is going to rid the world of all of it. And for the first time in our life, we will actually be able to see what the world looks like without sin. 
But in order to do that, he's going to not only root out sin, he's going to root out the ones who keep doing it. He's going to get at the root cause, all lawbreakers. Which really puts all of us in that spot. So the only ones that are saved are the good seed, which is those who belong to the Son of Man. Those who belong to Jesus. Not because we're without sin, but because we've been made right with God and God paid for that for us. And he says, he's going to rip it out. Everybody who rebels against the kingdom and the king, he's going to rip it out and he's going to bundle them up and he's going to throw them into the fires where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. That is a very visceral description. Weeping and gnashing of teeth. I don't know if you've like, if you know much about gnashing of teeth, but gnashing of teeth, like when you gnash your teeth, it's like you grind it. You grind your teeth together in like anguish or anger. Okay. So earlier this week, um, I made an accounting error in my own personal budget and plan. Okay. So I made an accounting error, which then cost me. And the thing is, I couldn't blame anybody but myself. Okay. I could try to blame other people. Well, if they would have done this, or we wouldn't have. It wasn't going to do any good because at the end of the day, I made the mistake. And you know what I did in that moment? I did this. Oh! You ever had that moment where you just grind your teeth because you know that you have no one else to blame but yourself and you know that this is your mess? And you're like, that was just such a silly mistake. Like, right? Like we have those moments, right, where we gnash our teeth, where we grind them together because we know we're fully aware in that moment that the mess is ours that we made. We broke it. We did it wrong. And he says, when, when, uh, when the time comes, people are going to stop pretending and they're going to be exposed for what they are. And he's going to throw them out of his grace and his mercy. And he's gonna, there's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There's going to be no one else to blame. There's just going to be tears and gritting your teeth because you know that the time has come. You can't play games anymore. And you are now outside of God's love, grace, and mercy. And there will be no excuses. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth and a fiery furnace. In contrast, it says, but the good grain, the good wheat is going to be brought in and they're going to shine like the sun in the presence of the Father. They're going to shine like the sun. For those of us who have put our hope and our trust in Jesus on our death or when Jesus returns, we're going to be brought in and we will do nothing but like just glow a radiant beauty because of being in a world without sin. We will taste food that's never been tainted by sin. We will have relationships that are not tainted by sins. We will have bodies that's not tainted by sins. Hallelujah. Right? We're going to have these moments right, where we're going, to, we're going to see for the first time and we're going to be in the presence of our Father. We are going to see God face to face and we will shine like the sun. He who has ears, let him hear. 
And so I want to talk, I'm going to take the, the rest of the time, I'm going to give you just a few, like three implications of this and four applications of what we can do. So we're going to, we're going to walk through this. First implication is this, there is real and counterfeit all around us. Okay, so there's real and counterfeit all around us. There's a difference between that what is genuine and what is fake. There is a real good thing and a counterfeit that is destructive. That there is a real follower of Jesus, a real church, and a real Christ. There is counterfeit followers of Jesus, counterfeit churches, and a counterfeit Christ, known as an antichrist, who will deceive people saying that salvation happens here, but it only leads to death. There's real and there's counterfeit, and God wants us to be able to tell the difference between the two. That's why he gives us his word. It's one of the reasons why he gives us his word. We're to have we're to have wisdom, we're to have discernment, we're to be able to constantly be differentiating. I talk to, to people all the time who are in dating relationships and they're followers of Jesus. I'm like, is the, is the person you're dating, are they a follower of Jesus? And they go, well, she says she believes in God. I said, so do demons, what's your point? Like, they will recognize him, yeah, he's God, but are they surrendered or submitted their lives to Jesus? There's counterfeit and there's genuine, and we are being trained to know the difference. We open the word of God every week because we want to continually be changed and shaped by what is real and genuine. Number two, the Lord has given us everything we need to live a life pleasing to him. The Lord has given us what we need to live a life pleasing to him. He gives us his spirit. So when you become a follower of Jesus, he gives you his spirit. He gives us his word. And he gives us his people. Like we have the spirit of God who dwells within us to give us direction and comfort and, and help us move forward to tell the difference between right and wrong. He gives, us, he gives us his word, which instructs us and reveals to us what God is like. And he gives us his people that we, there is the church that we are to hold each other accountable and encourage each other, instruct each other, teach each other. The word of God, the spirit of God, the people of God. He's given us everything we need. Number three, we can trust Jesus to know what he's doing with his church. We can trust Jesus, right? Jesus says, we're going to wait until things mature. And when that happens, then we're going to separate. We might not like the timing of that, but we can trust Jesus because Jesus is smarter than any of us. We can trust Jesus that he knows what he's doing. Yes, we lament. Yes, we get sad. Yes, we, we get frustrated when we see the fruit of people's lives bring destruction. We continue to walk with and tell people about Jesus so that they can turn to him. And sometimes it gets, gets exhausting, but we can trust that Jesus knows what he's doing with his church. This is his bride. He knows what he's doing. So if he knows what, we're do, what he's doing, and we can leave that in his hands, what do we do? What do we do? 
Number one, we become good seed through faith in Christ. So listen, I don't care where you've been. I don't care what you've done. I don't think what you think is forgivable or what is unforgivable. If you put your faith in Jesus, you become good seed. And it might take a long time to shave off those edges. And it might take a long time to process through all the baggage. And it might take a long time to do it. It's true. But Christ has made you good seed. You will bear good fruit. It's through faith in Jesus that we are saved. It's through faith in Jesus that we are saved. That Jesus came to this earth, lived this life perfectly, died the death that you and I deserve in our place. So all that other stuff that you think that is unforgivable, what you're saying is the cross can't cover that. And Jesus says, I beg to differ. Jesus paid the price for our sin and he rose from the dead to show that the grave could not contain him, to show that he has eternal life even beyond what this world can can bring to finality. Jesus is beyond that and he gives that eternity to people who put their faith and trust in him. We become good seed through faith in Christ. Number two, we're gonna keep planting good seed. This is kind of like what we talked about last week about just bringing the word of God forth as a seed, right? We're going to keep doing that. So often, I think we become obsessed with weeds that we forget that there's a whole world out there that needs to hear the good news of Jesus. And it's not that we don't deal with sin. It's not that we're going to shy away from it. It's not that we're going to do that. But what we are going to do is we're going to not obsess over weeds. We're going to recognize them when they're there. We're going to Entrust the care of the church to Jesus because he's the head of the church. And we're going to keep planting good seeds. We're going to keep planting good seeds. Number three, stay in God's word. Stay in God's word. These are the words of life. That's why we read it every week because these are the words that are going to transform the way that we think. It's going to transform our minds. We're going to be able to tell the difference between genuine and counterfeit, what's going to bring life and what's going to bring destruction. We're going to continue to open God's word and we're going to talk about the things that are in it, the the, the really comforting things and the really challenging things because this is helping us grow. And number four, we're going to stay close to Jesus. We're going to stay close to Jesus. In John 15, it says that we are to abide in Christ and we will bear good fruit, which means we're going to walk with Jesus. We're going to remain in him. We're going to stay close to him. We stay close to him through his word, through his spirit. As we're encouraged by his people, we gather together. We're going to stay close to Jesus. If you want more patience in your life, stay close to Jesus because patience is a byproduct of staying close to Jesus. We're going to continue to remain in Christ. We're going to stay close to him. We're going to stay in his word. We're going to keep planting good seeds. And we know that good seed happens when we put our faith in Jesus. Let's pray. And as we pray, I'm going to give you an opportunity to give your life to Jesus. To surrender your life to him. God, I thank you for today. I thank you for this opportunity. And for the people in here today who are maybe considering, am I 
uh, am I good seed? Am I, am, I, am I really surrendering my life to Jesus? Lord, I pray that one, that you would protect them against the attacks of the enemy, but also two, Lord, that, you would, that we would surrender our lives to you. And there's not a, a magic mantra. There's not a special potion. There's not an order of words that, that, that makes these things happen. It's, it's simply a surrender of our life to you. And so if you're in this room today and you are wanting to become right with God, then you can just say something like this to him. You can say, Lord, I realize that I have rebelled against you and that I have been your enemy. And God, I would ask that you would forgive me and that you would give me mercy. And Lord, that you would take away my guilt and my shame. And God, that you would adopt me into your family through Jesus. God, we thank you for the truth of knowing that it is our faith in you that, that, that we just trust you. We open ourselves up to you to work in our lives. Please continue to grow your church strong and beautiful. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer or if there's other things that you um, uh, that you are, are wanting to know more about, I'm going to turn it over to Craig and he's going to be able to lead you through about your next steps. So.